Well, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And while you're turning there, I want to just tell you how much fun it was for us to worship with you from Africa last week. I saw you on the camera. I felt so close to you. I mean, it was just like I was in the same room with you. And I've heard from some of you that you had the same experience. As a matter of fact, I saw a lady in the, in the hall today and she said, hey, man, good morning. And then she said, is that you or are you someplace else? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a matter of when you're here spiritually, you're with each other. And, but as much as it meant to me to be with you, you can't imagine what it meant to them, to the congregation on that side. Let me just tell you one little story. There's, a, there's a, a guy who's just flat out for Christ. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus grew up in the bush. Um, and, and that means, essentially, till he was 22 years old, he never even saw a car. Um, as a matter of fact, he was taken captive for 10 of his 22 years. And, and after the service, this guy's the neatest guy. And after the service, he was just so happy. And I said, what's up, Lazarus? He said, I've seen America. I can't believe it. I've seen America. He just felt like he had been here, you know. It was just so great. There was a connection of family. Like, it's just hard to imagine. And it was about relationships. It wasn't just about this tricky technical thing. So it was really, just really cool. Well, here's what I want to talk about today. Chapter 12, Luke Jesus, in the first part of that chapter, has some of the most in-depth teaching. I mean, I mean, people, the multitude who were listening to it, must have been so taken back at the profundity of what was being said. And Jesus evidently pauses to go on to another subject, and in the middle of that pause, there is an interruption by one voice. And the one voice, it's like, you can't even believe he's asking this. It, it's, it's, it's that little voice that comes out in all of us that no matter how profound the activity of God, no matter how profound the lessons of God, this little voice says, what about me? But what about me? But what about me? And that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 13. And it says this. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, let me give you the historical context. Probably what he was talking about was the law of primogeniture. Back in that day, the firstborn always got twice as much of the inheritance as anybody else. So this is probably a younger brother who wants his share of that twice as much. And he's, at, he's telling Jesus, you need to get involved in this. Look at Jesus' response. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, here's, here's a very interesting theological fact. Listen to this. God is sovereign over every detail of this world. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to intervene in everything. There are some things Jesus is just going to leave you on your own. And if you just want to deal strictly with the material world, see you. You can do that. You want to talk about your rights? Go to court. That's what they're there for. Jesus isn't going to... Because why? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If all you're interested in is this world, then, then go for it. Now, let me 
You all know how dumb it is just to be interested in this world because the world of materialism and the world of material has set up, has been set up to disappoint. We were made for a spiritual life. So the, so the material world will always pull a switch on us. It's just the nature of the world. Those of you who got involved in the stock market six months ago because you thought, boy, you know, sky's the limit. <laughs> You're very broke today? Yeah. Why? Because the nature of the world is just make switches. You just never know. Um, 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 sometimes the very thing that you think you want, you don't really want. But just the day before we left uh, Africa, we went to, uh, to Atosha, which is a game park. And we were, we were driving around. I mean, you can just see, like, there's, like, animals, like elephants and rhinoceros, and, you know. And, and, and you drive around this thing. And the one rule is you never get out of the car. You never get out of the car. And so we're driving around. And we want to, everybody wants to see a lion, you know. We really want to see a lion. So we're saying, oh, Lord, let us see a lion. Oh, Lord, let us see a lion. Oh, Lord, let us see a lion. We got two flat tires. Same time. Two flat tires. We couldn't believe it when the driver said, okay, everybody out. <laughs> Immediately, our prayers changed. Lord, don't let us see a lion. Lord, we don't want to see a lion. Mm-mm. You know? Why? Because the nature of the world is just, you know, you just, you think you want, but you really don't want that. And that's the nature of the material world. That's just the way it is. So Jesus said, Mm-mm, I'm not going there. I'm not intervening in that. But I'll teach you a lesson out of it. And look at what he says in verse 15. But he said to them, see, he wasn't talking to that guy anymore. He was saying, I'm going to teach us all a lesson about this. And, and that includes all of us here today at Northland. He said to them that, that we're them. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. You know that there are religious forms of greed as well as secular forms of greed? You know that? Yeah. Every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. Now, everybody knows that, don't we? But do we really believe it? Then he goes on to tell a parable. And I got to tell you, this parable has the dubious distinction of using the possessive pronouns more than any parable, any other parable in the Bible. More I, me, and mine in this parable than any other parable in the Bible. Listen to how he tells it. He told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself. I love that phrase. Anytime you're reasoning to yourself, your perspective is probably not broad enough. God says this in the Bible. Come, let us reason together. We were made to seek wise counsel. But here's a guy who starts to accumulate worldly goods. Now, there's something about having stuff in the world that's kind of like drinking salt water. You know, it ought to satiate your thirst, but it just makes you thirstier. And those of us who have accumulated or been uh, or had stuff know that our appetite just grows. It doesn't diminish. It grows. Well, maybe maybe I'll get this. Or maybe I could have that. 
Well, let me look through this. Look through this catalog. I'll discover stuff I, I know I need. I just never thought about it before. <laughs> and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Have you ever, have you ever known anybody so self-centered they talk to their own soul? I mean, he talks to it. He calls it by name. He says, soul? He says right here, soul? You have many goods. Now... Who is so spiritually dumb that they think the soul is made to store goods? Soul doesn't care how many goods you got. Soul is made for spiritual things, not for physical things, not for material things. This guy's trying to cram material things into his soul. I wish I could tell you that's unusual. I wish I could tell you how many people with a spiritual hunger try to answer it with a material good. But the numbers are countless. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now let's just, let's just spend just a few minutes on that little blip right there. And I want to tell you the process of greed. Jesus said, be on your guard of me. It's every form of greed. Number one is not just the accumulation that whets the appetite for more, but the giant assumption here that if God has given you more goods that you need, that they are for you. It never crosses this guy's mind. That maybe the reason he's got so much stuff is it might be for somebody else. Never crosses his mind. How many of us really just assume, you know, God, if you, if you give me a lot of stuff, then I just got to find a place for it. I got to make it grow. I, it's for me. It's for my family. You've blessed me. You've given it to me. Where'd you get that assumption? From the world. Not from God. Not from God. As a matter of fact, people of the Spirit, no different. St. Augustine once said, He who has an excess of goods has another's goods. Somewhere along the line, you've got to ask the question that Becky and I have been asking for some years now. How much do you need? You know the surprising answer? Not very much. Not nearly what you thought you did. How much do you need? How much of it is for you? Are the barns things that you build to store it for you? Do you know that in Christianity, our barns are elsewhere? They're elsewhere. St. Ambrose once said this. He said, the barns of the church are the bosoms of the poor in spirit, the houses of the widows, the mouths of the orphan, orphans. See, in the world, when you give stuff away, you've lost it. In the spirit, when you give stuff away, you've kept it. That's 
your barn. Your barn is those who need it more than you do. That's your barn. The assumption here is that growth is equal to keeping. That accumulation is equal to more accumulation and keeping. You don't find that anywhere in nature. You don't find a fruit tree growing fruit so that it can keep it. You don't find it. You find it growing fruit so you can get it, give it away. I wonder, I wonder if the church isn't more like the world than the world is. You know how the church estimates how well it's doing? How many people it accumulates? You get with any preacher and, 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 and get two, two preachers in any given room and it's only a matter of time for one of them will say, so how big is your church? We're not talking green, we're talking people. We're not talking money, we're talking people. Now, hear me and hear me well. The elders of this church know that it's our responsibility to take care of the people who are sent to us. And so we will always try to have the room that we need so that people can come and worship and make connections and relationships within the body. But there's a vast difference between the church that wants the people so that it can accumulate the resources and the church that says, come on in, because from here we're giving ourselves away. I wonder how this would have changed had this man said, you know, I need a bigger barn because the, the grain's going to go to waste out there. It's got to get some shelter, but I'm building a barn as a distribution center. It thrills me. We're talking about the sanctuary as a distribution center. The office building is a distribution center. The kids thing as a distribution It thrills me because that is the nature of Christ. Christ who did not count equality of, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taken on the form of a servant. That's the nature of Christ. And so Christ is talking about this man who is accumulating all these goods, saying, soul, man, you got it made. Now read these next verses. Verse 20. But God said. Now, anytime your thought process is interrupted with the words, but God said, that's not a good thing. As a matter of fact, that should be a very disturbing thing. Because anything God says trumps anything we have to think. It doesn't matter how lofty your goals are. It doesn't matter how lofty your thinking is. If God contradicts it, that's what stands. But God said. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. Literally in the Greek, this has an intimation that the angels are going to come and escort you to where you belong. You know, some of those movies like Ghost or uh, 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 Touched by an Angel, you know, they have some historical theology attached to them in that, in that there was a belief that angels escorted us to the appropriate place. This very night, literally, they are demanding your soul. From you. That's, that's what it literally says in the Greek. The angels. 
And now, who will own what you have prepared? Now, why was this guy a fool? Because he knew he couldn't keep what he had. But yet it was that very thing he was depending on for security. He, knew, he lives in the world. He knew how the world worked. He knew ultimately he was going to lose it. You know it too. You can't keep what you have. I don't care what you think resources you You can't keep it. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. You, it, you, can, you can rent one, but baby, it doesn't do you a bit of good. There's a, there's a Spanish proverb that said there are no pockets in shrouds. You can't take a thing in this physical world with you. You're going to lose it all. The point is this. Do you want somebody else to take it from you or do you want to give it in a way that you can't lose it? Do you want to give it in a way that it becomes a heavenly treasure? Do you want to give it in a way that you are literally fulfilled emotionally because you have seen how it has helped somebody else? You can't keep it. It's going to see you. Get that through our heads. You can't keep your physical bodies even. I look, Man, anybody of you, any of you who have a mirror, I don't need to tell you that. I get up every morning and say, who's the old guy? You know, <laughs> one more wrinkle, one more sight. Here, you know, it's just going. I know I can't. I can't keep. You can't keep your mind. It's, it's going. Some of you, some, how many of you just wander in the rooms and go, why was I here? <laughs> it's going. It is going. And sometimes way before the body goes, it's going. You know, you can feel yourself losing it. I, I, I thought there's a, somebody emailed me a little cute little story about two little old ladies on a park bench um, who had met on that, this park bench to enjoy the day 12, for 12 years. And one day, this one little old lady turns to the other little old lady and says, I am so embarrassed. She said, I know we've been friends for 12 years. But she said, I'm sitting here absolutely mortified because I cannot remember your name. <laughs> she said, I'm so sorry. Please don't be angry with me. What's your name? And the other lady turned to her and kind of just looked perplexed for like two minutes and finally said, uh, when did you need to know that? <laughs> you know? It's all going to go. It's all going to go. And the question is, do you want to give it or do you want to have it taken from you? That's the question. It's not, can I keep it? The answer to that is, no, you can't. And then Jesus says this, and I'll just, I'll conclude with this. Jesus says this. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not Rich toward God. How are you rich toward God? I'm going to talk to you later on in greater detail about the riches of heaven and about eternal treasures that you can never lose and you're always glad you gave. But it's pretty simple. It's the opposite of what you just read. Matter of fact, there's a parable or there's a, there's a pattern in the Bible that says you can't have this without giving up this. And what we give up is our ego-centered mania about stuff and find out 
It's all about love. You know that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about everything is going to pass away. Knowledge will pass away, it says. But love never fails. It's all about love. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ in us. Somebody wired me a different story this week. I love this story. True story. Brooklyn, New York. There is a a Jewish school or a school for, for Jewish children who have learning disabilities. And one night they were having a fundraising banquet. And one of the fathers of a disabled child was standing and extolling the, the, the virtues of the school and, and, and the wonderful uh, faculty that they had. And then he just stopped in the middle of his speech. And he said, where is God's perfection in my son? He said, I know all that God does, he does with perfection. But my son can't learn like other children. My can't do like other children. Where is God's perfection in my son? The audience was absolutely silent. So taken by the honesty and the pain of that question that they couldn't say anything. And then he continued to answer his own question. He said, I believe that God allows children like my son to come into the world, not because he wants to find all his perfection in them, but because the perfection he is seeking is from people's response to them. And then he told a story that had happened a couple of weeks before that. They were going to to yeshiva. It's a, it's a Torah school on Sunday. And, and this, is a, this is a school for normal children. And so all of his classmates were out there and they were playing ball and, and um, uh, Shayla uh, was his name or, 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 or Shayra. I'm sorry, Shayra. Shayra had never played ball. And he looked at his dad and he said, Father, do you think you could get me into the game? Now, his father knew he had absolutely no athletic ability. He had no knowledge of the game whatsoever. And he knew none of those kids would want him to play. But he felt like since his son had asked him, he'd give it a shot. So he went up to the first baseman. They're right in the middle of the inning. And he says, excuse me, do you think my son Sarah could play? Well, the kid kind of looked around at his teammates and all his teammates were looking at him. And so he just kind of took things into his own hands and he said, well, we're right in the middle of the eighth inning and, and if you just tell him to get a mitt and run out into the field, uh, then maybe we can get him up into the bat into the ninth, in, ninth inning. And, and Shaver's just absolutely so happy and so is his father. Shocked. Well, the team batted around in the eighth inning and, and, and they were behind six runs. And this team got three more runs and so they were only behind three runs. And now it's the bottom of the ninth for Shaver's team. And, and they get a run. Now they're behind two and the bases are loaded. True story now. Two outs. 
and it's Sarah's turn to bat. There was not a person in that park that expected that team to send that kid to bat. But they did. They turned to him and said, Sarah, get a hit. Well, he'd never batted before. He didn't know how to hold a bat. So he walks up to the plate. He looks out at the pitcher, and the pitcher saw what was happening. And the pitcher steps off the mound and walks a few steps forward and lofts the ball so that maybe he can hit it. Well, Shareth's wings missed it by a mile, of course. Then one of his teammates comes out of the dugout and goes over to Shera and holds the bat with him. And the pitcher again lofts the ball. And together they hit this little bloop grounder toward the pitcher. And the pitcher picks it up immediately as Shera stands at the plate not knowing what to do. And he very easily could have thrown it to first, last out, game over, won the game. But he throws it way over the first baseman's head. And the whole crowd yells, Shayra, run to first, run to first. He'd never run to first before. They just pointed him in the right direction. He's running to first. His little heart's pounding, you know, and he gets on first. By that time, the right fielder had the ball. Could have easily throwing him out at second. But he took the lead from the pitcher, threw it way over the second baseman's head. And everybody was yelling, Shayra, run to second! So he's running to second, <laughs> little heart pounding. By the time he gets to second, the shortstop from the opposing team runs up to him and says, Shayra, come on, let's run to third! So they're running to third together. <laughs> By this time, all of the runners have crossed the plate. And all of them on both teams are lined up along the third baseline, shouting him home. And he comes home, and he puts his feet on home plate. And they all swarmed him and proclaimed him the hero for winning the game. And the Jewish father, who is telling this story by this time, has all these tears running down his cheeks. And he said, that day, 18 boys came to perfection. As I walked around Africa to the ministries of people who are flat out for Jesus Christ, but are struggling, I had to ask myself the question, God, why? When these people are so sincere, do you allow them to struggle? And then I ask myself the follow-up question, and why have you given us so much? The answer is automatic, isn't it? It's just automatic. The question is whether or not we will grow into the kind of maturity spiritually that we actually come to perfection together. That we give them what they need and we give them what we need to give. That's the question. Pray with me. God, make us like Jesus. Make us 
people who pour out until we're empty so that others can have what they need because we've got more than we need. And then let us walk toward you together. Lord, thank you for what you've given us. We don't discount the blessing, but we recognize the purpose. Make us like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.